Thank you very much. As uh, Dave said, my name is Tim, and I am one of the leaders uh, here at the Vine Church Hall. As uh, Dave's also said, we're starting a new series uh, this morning, and I'm super excited about this series because, uh, well, because mainly because I've been prepping for it for the last about four or five months. So, so I've started this journey way uh, four or five months ago, but I'm super excited. This series, as you've probably seen, is called God's Name. And we produced a little booklet uh, like this. So if you haven't got one before you leave, do get one from the back as well. But this little booklet, it just each week, it just gives us a, a little thought about each uh, which topic we're going through and then some questions. And it's just so we can journey through it together, not just on Sundays, but in midweek and in life group, uh, whether that's at home or with, or with a group of people as well. So through this series, our hope is that your understanding of who God is would deepen and therefore your relationship with God would also deepen. If you've been in church for a while, you would uh, often hear people say stuff like, you know, God is compassionate or God is slow to anger. And often, they're quoting the Psalms and quoting David, King David. But what gives the right for King David to say stuff like that? You know, what gives him the right to say, how did he know that God is compassionate? He might have experienced it himself, but how does he truly know? You know, we just repeat stuff. But this series will get us to know why people like King David and follow on from the Bible, people like Joel and Daniel and then Paul and, you know, how do, why do they say this stuff? We will know why when looking at this passage in Exodus 34, uh, verse 6 to 7. A.W. Tozer, you might have heard him, this 20th century writer, he made this stunning claim in one of his books and he says this, what comes into our minds when we think of God is important, sorry, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into your mind when I say the word God is the most important thing about you. It's quite a statement really, isn't it? It, it really is, really, because he's saying it's more important than our gender or sexuality. He's saying it's more important than your family origin or the town you grew up in, or the university you went to. It says it's more important than your job or your family. He's saying the most important thing is what you think of God when someone says, what do you think of God? And then he goes on to say this. We tend by secret law of our soul toward our mental image of God. Were we able to extract from any man the complete answer to this question? What comes to mind when you think of God, we might predict the certainty, certain, certainty, the spiritual future of that man. He's saying what comes into your mind when you think of God is how you outlaw your life. So if you think of God as like this horrible uh, father who's, who's, who's there to trick you out, to, to cause you pain and suffering, that is what you will go through your whole of your life. But if you think of God as like slow, slow to anger and compassionate, that is the way you will live your life. So therefore, A.W. Tozer believes what, what comes into your mind when you think of God, so it might be that he's a father, or no, it might be because of Jesus dying on the cross, or it might be a, like a character trait that he's slow to, he's slow to anger. 
that is how you would live the rest of your life. So when a circumstance rises up, or when you're just doing your everyday work, you will live out your belief and your thought of God. And this is why it's so important to have uh, the right and biblical and godly understanding of who God is. There's a truth that comes out uh, that cuts across the whole of the universe, and it's this. We become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. So if you, if you do all your uh, football all week, or if you, you know, if you watch Strictly Come Dancing 24-7, or whatever it might be, you will become like that. I'm not saying you're going to become an excellent dancer or amazing footballer, but that will become your main thing. And I believe this series is going to challenge and transform our mindset of who God is. And we're going to be looking at Exodus 34, uh, primarily, verse 6 and 7, for the next 10 weeks. And you're thinking, how can you get 10 weeks out, I'm sorry, it's 9 weeks, sorry, 9 weeks out of that verse, literally two verses. But it's a bit more than that, it's Exodus 34. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you could have collected one when you got in, but or do go to the back and we can get hold of a Bible for you to follow this. It will also be up on the screen in a bit as well. So here we go. Exodus is a, a remarkable book. It's a remarkable book because it's about God rescuing his people. See, at this time in history, uh, God's people are living in Egypt. And in Egypt, as many of us would, have, would know, or if you've watched um, the, the film, The uh, Prince of Egypt, Egypt, they're living under slavery. They're in bondage, they're in fear, and they're suffering. And God, he wants to rescue his people away from Egypt towards the promised land. So he wants to take them to this place where they will experience freedom and liberty. And most of all, it will be a place where they can truly worship their God. So God says, I'm going to choose a man to lead my people. His name is Moses. So he chooses this man to lead his people. And it will be Moses that would be there when the plagues come in. He'll be there leading them through the Red Sea. And he will be the one uh, that would uh, take them through this period uh, away from Egypt, away from slavery, away from bondage, in towards the promised land. And Moses, he did an amazing job, and he was so courageous. And he led them towards the promised land, and then the people started to gr uh, grumble and complain. They started to say, well, we haven't got this, we haven't got enough food, we haven't done this, we haven't done this. And that is Exodus chapter 1 to 18 in a nutshell, what goes on. But then we get to Exodus 19. Exodus 19, the people are led to the Mount Sinai. And as they're led to Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with his people. He says this, if Israel, the people of God that he's led out of Egypt, obey the terms of the covenant, they will be shaped by the laws and teachings, and they will become kingdom of priests, meaning they will show all the nations what their God is like. He's saying that if you keep my laws and teachings, you will become a, 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 a people that will show other nations what who, and who 
God is like. So, so he, they're at Mount Sinai, and they all say to Moses, we sign up for this. This is Exodus 19, by the way. He says, we sign up, but this is all good. And at this point in time, on the Mount Sinai comes uh, a massive cloud, and there's thunder, and there's lightning. And Moses goes up the mountain again, and he, has, uh, he meets with God, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And this would be the covenant. This would be the covenant uh, that they have to follow. So Moses goes down the mountain. He shows the Ten Commandments to the people that have left Egypt. And they say, yeah, we're still up for this. We will keep the Ten Commandments and a load of other more laws, by the way. I love about 50, 50 laws. Another load of laws. And then we will become a nation that everyone looks at and says who God is. And that is Exodus 19. And then Moses keeps going up the mountain again, and we Exodus 35 to 31, it's all about um, the tabernacle. It's all about this place. And in between 25 and 31, Moses gets the blueprint of what he's meant to make. This will be the place where they will experience the presence of God. I don't know if you remember, in, right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they walked with God. They experienced the presence of God. And then sin entered the world, and uh, they, they didn't experience the presence of God in the same way. But God said, I want to meet with my people. And how I'm going to meet with my people? I'm going to meet with them in this place. So Moses gets the blueprint between Exodus 25 and 31 of what they should build this like. So Moses keeps going up and down the mountain, uh, and he gets this blueprint, and they start building it to the exact specification of everything that was going on. But this is the thing. Something goes wrong. Because as Moses is going up and down the mountain, finding out the exact blueprint, the people of Israel, they start to say, Moses is taking too long. It's going on too long. He's going up there too long. We need someone to lead us. So they say to his brother, could you build us a golden calf? And they build a golden calf and they start to worship idols. Because this is taking too long to sort out and to build. He's taking too long to talk to God about what this is meant to look like. So the people, they start worshipping a god, uh, a golden calf. And it becomes their god. And then God... In many ways, he gets, he gets annoyed by this because he says, I made a covenant with you. Do you remember the covenant I just talked about? He said, if you keep my laws and teachings, one of them was the Ten Commandments that you will not worship any other God, you will become my people and he will show everyone else. So God gets annoyed with them. So Moses goes back up the mountain and he, he says to God, don't forget your promises to Israel. God, what would the nations Think of you if you just destroy these people. So God says, I will make another covenant. And this is where we get to Exodus 33. And in Exodus 33, Moses and God are having another conversation. And in this conversation, and it's uh, Exodus 33 verse 18, Moses says to God, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. Glory. Moses is saying to God, I want more of you, God. I, I, I want to experience you more, God. I want to know you more, God. I want to see you more, God. And God responds by saying, my goodness 
will pass before you. My goodness will pass before you. And the story goes on, and we get to Exodus 34, where we are focusing on. And in Exodus 34, Moses goes up the mountain to go and get the next covenant, because there's going to be a new, uh, a new, uh, a new com- a covenant. Moses goes up the mountain, and Moses meets with God. But he doesn't meet with God in the way that he's met with God before by, um, by a burning bush or by a miracle. But he meets with God by God saying this. And this is where we get up to in verse 6 and 7. The Lord, Lord, the merciful and gracious God. Some, some versions say the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children, their children, the sin of the parents, the third and fourth generation. See, what goes on here is that in chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says, show me your glory. And then, how does God show Moses his glory? He does it by describing his own divine character. He's saying, this is my name. This is who I am. See, this is the first time in the Bible that God reveals his own character to the people. See, many people and writers have said who God is, but this is God saying who he is. This is why it is vitally important to our theology. One scholar said this, it is difficult to overestimate the importance of this passage. It is the longest and most complete description of the Lord's character to be found in the whole Bible. This passage is remarkable because this is God describing himself. We don't have a, this is the most complete picture of God speaking and describing himself throughout the whole Bible. Our whole, a lot of our faith clings to this. And we'll see that throughout the next weeks. Uh, Even when Jesus comes, he's, he's he's a personification of this. God describes that. We see that we're going to see this out the next uh, nine weeks, how this develops and grows, and the understanding of God. See, from this point on, David, Joel, da- uh, Daniel, uh, Paul, uh, uh, like I said, Jesus, the personification, they all are going back and really quoting this. When, when David says he's slow to anger, he knows that because of this passage, because he was a Jewish boy. You know, this passage is vitally important to understanding who God is and understanding our faith. So when we live life every day, we can say, I know God's slow to anger because in Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7, that is when God actually said it for himself. God said it. I'm not just quoting Tim or Dave or even David from the Bible. I'm quoting God himself. He said this. I'm not quoting someone else or someone, you know, I've been listening to. I'm quoting God himself. Let's read Exodus 34 together. We're just going to read this together. I've given us a good background just to kick us off. I hope that you got that flow uh, going through. uh, But it's the first week, so I wanted to give us a good background. Here we go. The Lord said to Moses, this is verse 1, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablet. So if you remember, this is the second covenant, the second tablet, because the first one, they messed up over and built a golden calf. 
which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up the mountain to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks, herds graze upon the uh, graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose up early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. He took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. He's proclaiming his name. This is it, God's name. What is it? We're finding out it is the Lord, the Lord. Uh, The Lord passed before and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin. But who will, be, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon, pardon our inequity or sin, and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I'm making a new covenant before all your people. I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I've commanded you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Kenites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. Lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. You shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. See, this is Exodus 34, and this is where we get up to. And I want to ask you this question this morning. When is the last time you said to God, show me your glory, like Moses? Or or you might want to put it like this, God, I want more of you. See, this morning, I want to speak to you upon the subject of experiencing God. See, if you said God, I want more of you. I wonder what triggered that, I want more of you, God. Maybe something something negative or hard happened in your life. Maybe it's something inside of you that said, I just need more of God. Or maybe you felt God pressing onto you in your life to say, come close to me. See, Moses had experienced the presence of God probably uh, more and in such an amazing way like like probably none of us in this room. Let's just think about it. He saw God do miracles when the plagues came. He saw his staff turn into a snake and back again. He saw, he saw a, a sea of blood. He saw a burning bush in the desert. He had conversations with God. He heard the audible voice of God. See, for Moses, he could have said to God when he was in conversations with him, Instead of saying, I want to know you more, I want to experience you, I want to see your glory, he could have said, look God, I was abandoned at birth and put in a basket in the Nile. He could have said, look God, I I, I killed a guy for, for, I was trying to do the right thing by killing a guy who was doing the wrong thing. He could have said to God, you know, I'm rubbish at public speaking. 
I've done everything you've told me to do, God. He could have said, it's not me, God. It was them who worshipped the idols. But he says to God, he doesn't think about the past and things that are hard in his life. He thinks about, I want to experience more, God. You are, I want to see your glory, God. Exodus 33, verse 18. Please show me your glory. I want to know you more. I want to experience you, God. You know, what I've got now is not enough. I've seen the miracles. I've, I've seen you do incredible things. I've seen, you know, I've seen you in a burning burst. I've heard your audible voice. But there's got to be more, God. What is glory? Well, glory of God in many ways is impossible to define. Because it's more like the word beauty rather than basketball. Because if I gave... If I was to describe the basketball to you, then you've never heard of basketball before, seen a basketball. You know, I would say something like, you know, it's, it could be rubber or it's leather. It's, it's, like, it's like round. It's, it's eight or nine inches in di- diameter. You know, you, you bounce it. And you're getting a bit of a description in your mind of what it looks like. But then when it comes to glory, how do you describe glory? Because it's not a physical or in many ways a tangible um, product. But glory in the Hebrew, is kabod, which originally means weight or heaviness. See, this was Moses' desperate desire. He wanted to know all the facets of God. He wasn't settled, oh yeah, I've seen this miracle, I've seen you do this, God, I've seen you in a burning bush, I've heard your audible voice, but he wanted to know the full extent of God's heaviness and weight in his life. He's like, I've seen you do that, there must be more. He wanted to experience God more. When our deepest desire is God himself, we cross a threshold and we become less me-focused, more God-focused. We become less about me and more about him. And that's what Moses had. He was less about him. He said, I just want more God. He wasn't focusing on circumstances or what was going on. He just said, I want to experience God more. See, like Moses, we've all had experiences in in this world that affect us. Experiences of fear, stress, anxiety, broken relationships, pressures to conform. And this can often distort and distract us experiencing God. Because those become the main thing in our lives. And those experiences become overwhelming and massive. Where God is just like, no, no, you should experience me more. You want to experience my glory more. And Moses got this. Although Moses, in many ways, he saw the goodness and greatness and he saw God do amazing things. Oh man, he had a, he had a mightily hard life. Could you imagine leading, they reckon, uh, probably about two million people through the Red Sea. Imagine all the opinions. Moses, don't go that way. You're, no, don't do that way. You, could you imagine it? Could you imagine when he kept going up the mountain, back down the mountain, and then he found out they were worshipping a golden calf after everything God has done for them. Could you imagine what he was thinking and feeling like? But for him, even though he was probably feeling that he probably had some broken relationships with people, he probably faced fear, probably. I could imagine so. He probably had anxiety. What would they think of me? But he wasn't focused on those things. He was focusing on, show me your glory. I want to experience your experience God more. To, to an ongoing experience, the presence of God is vital to our faith and life. 
It is vital to your faith and life to keep experiencing the presence of God. Imagine you're about to get married. Maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe you are married. But imagine it's your wedding day. And on your wedding day, you speak to your wife loads. And you'll speak to your family and your friends. You just keep talking, talking, talking. And you're getting to know each other. And then the next day, you just don't speak at all. You would probably say, Tim, that's ludicrous. No relationship does that. And that is probably right. That is ludicrous. But imagine we do that in our relationship with God. We come to faith and we want to experience and know God more. And then, and then, and then as time goes on, it becomes less and less. And, you know, in many ways it becomes, why are we doing it? We wouldn't do that in our marriage. We wouldn't do that to two close friends or a mother and daughter wouldn't do that. But sometimes we do that in our relationship with God and we've come to a place where we don't experience God as much as we used to. Just posing this question, when was the last time you said to God, I want to experience you more? Throughout the Bible, people have experienced God in many different ways. If you think about it, there's a, there's a talking donkey. God speaking through audible voices, dreams, visions. There's also the silence. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon them and there were tongues of fire. There are many different ways we can experience God. But the thing is, it's vital that we do experience God. See, God replies after Moses says, show me your glory. I will let my goodness pass before you. God is saying, you will experience me. God will say, God will meet with you. See, I believe that if we said today, God, I want to know more of you. I want to experience you more. His reply would be the same. You will experience me. You will know me more. You will, you, will, you will feel me more. You maybe have dreams and visions or you might experience me in the silence or you could hear my audible voice. I really believe that, that he would reply the same way he replied to Moses. There's a man in the Bible called uh, Naaman, Naaman. And he had leprosy. And he is the commander of the armies of Syria. But he was excluded, excluded from life because of his leprosy. Nothing could be done for him, but there was only one hope, and that was God. And I just want to, I was going to read out the verse, but you get the verse in 2 Kings chapter 5. And I'll just quickly explain. In 2 Kings chapter 5, you've got this, you've got this man called Naaman. And Naaman, he, as I said, he's got leprosy, but he is a big guy. He's a prestige guy, and he is a guy that probably lives in royal palace, palaces, and he leads the people to overcome the, um, to, 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 to lead the, to, sorry, he leads the people to, uh, to overcome the armies from, from Syria. And he has leprosy, and then he goes, he wants to get healed. And someone comes to him and says, no, sorry, he goes to Elisha's house, Elisha, yeah, Elisha's house. And he says this. Actually, let's, let's read the verse, let's read the verse, actually. Let's work back. Okay, so 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now, Naaman was the commander of the armies of the kings of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a uh, belligerent, violent, valiant soldier, thank you, but he had leprosy. And then we'll jump to verse 8. 
When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robe, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robe? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with him to his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me from leprosy. Are not Abana and Tabitha, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash them and be cleansed? So he, he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean, clean like the young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God who stood before him and said, Now I know there is no, no God in, the, in all the world except in Israel. So please accept this gift from your servant. What is going on here is that Naaman was a man of power and prestige. And he expected to be treated in such a way. He expected someone to come over and basically lay their hands on him and he would be healed. But the, the, the prophet said, no, you've got to go into the Jordan and wash yourself seven times to be healed. And he did that and he was healed. See, this is the thing. Naaman had to learn that his, God's ways are not always man's ways. God's ways are not always man's ways. See, men expect the fanfare and entertainment. God simply shows himself and works in his own ways in his own time. And sometimes the ways of God are foolish to men. Men uh, sometimes don't understand why God is doing things in certain ways. If we want to see God do something in us and if we want to experience God like we've never seen before, sometimes we have to do things a bit different. And this is what Naaman had to experience, that he had to go and wash. You know, he, they, they, he didn't want to do it that way. He didn't want to experience and get healed in that, in that possible way. But he had to, to be healed, because God said, this is the way I'm going to do it. And the thing is, with our lives, you know, we are able to survive and do life on our own. We can survive and do life in just knowing God in the theory. I, I never forget, when I was 18 years old and I attended a church, and uh, in this church was this man in about mid-40s, probably, uh, sorry, mid-40s to late 40s uh, age. And he would be there every week serving on the PA. This man, uh, he came every week. Uh, for about a year and a half, I went to that church. He, uh, he was there most weeks. And he heard the sermons. He was in the worship. But if you asked him, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus' death and resurrection? He would reply, no. He would say, no, I don't believe in that. And it always got me quiz. why would he come every week? He was more committed than most people probably in the church, except the pastor. But, you know, why would he come every week? Because, and I remember speaking to some other people about it, and they said he just liked the community and relationship to it. He just wanted the community and relationship. You know, thinking about this, you know, this man, he sat in so many sermons, he knew God intellectually. He knew it. He heard it. He, he heard it. He's probably, he's, you know, he's probably, it's in his mind. But he'd never experienced God. He'd never experienced God. And God desires us to experience him. How are we to experience God? 
This is the amazing thing. It could be anything. Like I said earlier, it could be a talking donkey. It could be in the silence. It could be in the loud uh, rush of life. It could be in anywhere. It could be in this room. It could be a feeling inside us. Or it could be an encouragement from someone else. But the vital thing is, is that we need to experience God. Because when we experience God, it changes us. It changes us. I don't believe that Moses could do what he had been called to do without experiencing God. See, for Moses to go in front of Pharaoh, to lead God's people, to go up the mountain, it was a life of it was a life roller coaster of emotions and events in his life. But he needed to experience God. You think about the times. Uh, every time that he met with God, it was like in the time that he would get empowered and envisioned and strengthened. It was like he was coming home to his God. And he needed those experience times so when he went back down the mountain or he went to lead the people, he was there ready to go for life. And this is one of the reasons we need to experience the presence of God. Because when we experience the presence of God, we get empowered, we get envisioned, we get strengthened for life and for what God has called you to do. If you don't experience the presence of God, I really believe that you, life would just be so much harder. You could do life. People do life. But how much more when you experience the presence of God? See, God's presence is for everyone. In the Old Testament, it was for a select few at certain times in history. But when, when uh, Jesus died and then resurrected and went to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit come, we can all experience the presence of God. We could go home tonight and have dreams and visions in the night. We can, we can be encouraged by one another. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's so important that as believers that we experience the presence of God. When was the last time you said to God, I want more of you? Because if it was a long time ago, I wonder, are you running a bit on your own? Are you running a bit dry? Maybe you feel a bit stale in a nice way. Because life is hard. We look at the world around us. We don't know what is going to happen with our country in terms of Brexit. And then we look at our, our family circumstances. We're thinking about what happens in this God. You know, I don't, no one can predict the future. And, you know, what about this God? Or what about this in life? What about this in life? And there's so many uncertainties in life. And that will never change. But when we experience the presence of God, it's like Moses. And we get empowered to go again. We get envisioned. We get, you know, strengthened. And say, I can do this because God is with me. And it's so important in our lives to say to God, like Moses in Exodus 33, verse 18, show me your glory. I want more of you. I want more of you, God. In a minute, we're going to be breaking bread. But I just want to leave you with this thought. Why would you do life on your own strength? Or why would you do life just knowing what you've known now. See, for us as a church, we want to see God do more in us and through us and in our town, don't we? We want to see God do incredible things for us. But it starts, I believe, 
we've experienced in him. And that's what Moses had. For all the great things, we've got to experience him. And you know, that word that came this morning very much fits in what we're saying today in terms of, you know, go deeper in God. God's got his hand out. You know, we want to go more in God. We've got to experience him more uh, to, to, to see more, to do more. If we don't experience him, we'll be doing it by ourselves. Why would you do that in your own life? When you're doing your family circumstance, your work life, you know, it's so important to say, God, I want to experience this week. How am I going to experience you? I want to experience you more, God. Give me a dream. Give me a vision. And get, I want someone to encourage me, God. Ask God for specific things, maybe. Ask God for specific things. Don't do life by yourself. Experience God. Dave's just going to come up and share a few thoughts. Thanks, Ellen. I just think it's important this morning that we just hear God, hear what Tim has said this morning. It's, it's really important as we come to uh, breaking of bread <coughs> this morning that we just consider where we sit in all of this. What is God saying to us individually? Is he speaking to us? Is he saying my name is great? What, what is he doing? And, and you know, we never know what life is going to throw at us, do we? And uh, as I said earlier, today is um, International Holocaust Memorial Day. That was a horrendous situation that happened all those years ago when six million Jews were slaughtered. Uh, and beyond that, another five million ethnic uh, minorities, disabled people, and gypsies. And I want us to think for a minute, you know, we ourselves too can think bad things, can't we, about people that are different from us, about the Muslims maybe, or the, the uh, people that aren't like us, the Syrians that are coming into this country. And, and it, it's, we just need to be thinking about our heart towards God. What does God say? What is God saying? We, we wanted to... Um, just remember this day today because uh, we never want to see that happen again, do we? Ever. We must never, ever see that happen again. And, and yet it has happened. This is the 25-year anniversary of Rwanda and the genocide there. It's the 40-year anniversary of a genocide, the genocide in Cambodia. So it's happening again and again and again. And as we come to Jesus this morning, we have the hope for the world, don't we? We have God, we have Jesus, we have the hope. And God's heart is to mend and cure and heal the world of its sin and its evil. And as we come uh, to breaking the bread this morning, uh, there's something which is very pertinent, I think. In 1 Corinthians 11, it just says this, it says, In the night that Jesus was betrayed... In other words, the worst point in his life, in the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And what did he then do? 
he gave thanks. He gave thanks. He was grateful to what who God was. He was grateful to God the Father. He gave thanks even though it was the night in which he was betrayed. And we should be very grateful for the wonderful lives that we live, shouldn't we? And the fact that we are not being marched down the road uh, to our deaths. We, 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 we must be really grateful for what God has done to us. So as we come to uh, breaking the bread this morning, I want us to be grateful, okay? And, and not be miserable about how bad life is, because life for us actually is fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely fantastic. Life is wonderful. Life has never been this good for us, even though your individual circumstances might not feel like it right now. But we come to Jesus, who has washed our sins away. Praise his name. Let's break bread together. Uh, Bob and Jane, if you'd like to come up and serve for us this morning, that'd be really good. If you've been particularly uh, moved by what you've heard, uh, you've been touched by God this morning, and you need prayer, uh, then the prayer ministry team uh, will be available uh, for, for you this morning to pray for you. So uh, please, please do. There'll, there'll be guys at the back. Um, in fact, if you can make yourself known, uh, prayer ministry team, that'd be really good. Okay, so that's right. Paul here. Alan, Jane, Penny, and Karen, and Alison. Okay, so any of those, do you need their prayer this morning? Okay, Father, we thank you this morning for your greatness. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your love for us. And, and we thank you for Calvary, Lord, where it all started on the cross. When you came to us and you became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might see your goodness in Jesus. And Lord God, as we celebrate this morning, Lord, I just pray that you would touch our hearts and help us to remember how blessed that we are today. How very blessed we are. 